Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Executive Director of Church Partnership Evangelism. It's our joy to bring these teachings to you from the Word of God. If you wish to learn more about our ministry abroad, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our church fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today, from Romans 6.6, we review the wonderful promise of the new birth and then answer the question, if spiritually born again, why do we still wrestle with temptation and sin? Well, the last time I spoke to you, we left with this understanding that when Paul is speaking to individuals in the Bible and when he's writing and Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to communicate, that we're asking the question, who is it ultimately that Paul is speaking to? Is he speaking to us as a gathering of cells as a bunch of mental brain functions and synapses in our brains, the pulling together and putting together of all the mechanical material elements of our body and being and how we react and collect that in the psychological way in which we are born in upon by the environment around us or how we're shaped by the very nature and the DNA that we've gone. Is that all that Paul is speaking to? Or is he speaking to, when he speaks to us, is he speaking something of us and addressing us as something more than just bodies that function? material entities. When Paul is addressing us, when the Word of God comes to us, it speaks to the spirit of a man, that there is something in us that is immaterial, that goes beyond merely our physical presentation, that there is a consciousness of human existence that lies behind, you might say, what is materially presented. And God speaks to that individual, and God is communicating to us as spirit. In fact, the Lord Jesus said of God that God is spirit in John chapter 4, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When God made us, God made us. He formed our bodies, the Bible says, out of the clay or the earth or the ground, but then God breathed in us a living soul. God breathed or infused within us a spirit that would know him and commune with him and live in relationship with him. These are the things that we were discussing. God made us. And God created us as spiritual beings that we may commune in relationship with Him who is Spirit Himself. This is what the born-again Christian is. He's a new spirit. He's someone who has had a new spirit raised or created in Him. And the old spirit He was, the old man that He was, has been put to death. He's been crucified. And God has raised up a purified and cleansed spirit that may now come into the presence of God and commune with God and know God and experience God and may receive in relationship with itself God so that they may be together and walk together and fellowship together and know each other and so that he might have imparted to him the very mind of Christ. This is the position that the born-again believer, the born-again Christian has. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul writes, Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And that's a description of the born-again man. In this born-again renewed spirit now, he is living in communion with the spirit of God. He has a relationship where he has received the spirit of God. So he's able to commune with God. And yet at the same time, it reveals to us something. The unsaved person has received or lives in communion with the spirit of this world. The born-again man has received the Spirit of God, that he may commune with God. The unsaved man lives in a situation where, as spirit, he still communes with spirit, but he communes with the spirit of this world or this age. And 
one of the important things we said is that we that it's foolhardy foolhardy to think that you'll ever have spiritual independence. The spirit, our spirits were made to commune with spirit, and if you do not hold communion with the Holy Spirit, you will be communing with an unholy spirit, whether you know it or not. The Lord Jesus confronted the legalistic righteous Pharisees and told them that you are of your father the devil you thought that you were communing with the holy God you're not it's just a situation a place you're in and it's a bit of a warning for the young individual who grows up for example in the church and decides that they want to go out on their way and they want to have independence from the things they've learned they want to discover life for themselves and they want to live according to their own choices and they go out thinking somehow that they've expressed themselves in liberty and that now they're moving in their own way of independence they're not they're not going out by themselves they're not independent they're being trailed and hounded by an evil spirit that goes with them and I tried to share with you some illustrations that I experienced from the travel that we have abroad and where we travel around the world, but it's very evident as you travel around the world that you see the attending of evil spirits all over the place. When men turn from God and they will not worship God and they don't commune with Him, other spirits are there. In fact, I think I wrote out a little letter to members of our church this week expressing the reality of I think we, how we need to address ourselves in the age in which we live today. When I'm traveling overseas and we're doing our training, one of the questions that we ask individuals that we're training is to identify members of their household or their domestic relationships that don't know the Lord Jesus and to begin praying for them. And they give us a list of those individuals that they're praying for. And then further on in our training, one of the questions we ask them is, what is the sin that dominates the lives of the people that you're praying for? Can you think of some particular sins? In different countries, they'll give you different answers. But if you're in India, and if you're in Nepal, they don't bat an eye. They say idolatry. They worship idols. Their lives are bound up in the worship of idols. How do they know that? Well, because that's where their life was before they met the Lord Jesus before they came to worship the one true God and the creator of all the universe. They were bound in the worship of idols, and they see this as a moral darkness that covers their land. As a result, they live recognizing the sin that dominates their world, and they raise their children in caution against that sin and cultivating them to worship the one true God, and they create with them a warning and a gauge against the idolatry that surrounds them. And I wrote to suggest to you that it might be wise in our day and age to see that this is the sin of our day and age as well. The things that we're seeing all around us. We live in an idolatrous age. Paul knew it. John knew that. John writes his letter to the church, and the very last warning that he gives the church in his letter of 1 John is, little children, keep yourself from idols. It's all around us. It's a warning that should be blaring out to us. We have received the Spirit who is from God. Go to Him, bow before Him, worship Him, commune Him. That's why He's redeemed you. That's why He's got you new life and you've been born again. And oh, believers, be caution and guard against the spirit that is all around us. And oh, young people, be warned. You cannot depart from the living God and go out by yourself. You'll go out in the company of evil spirits that will guide you and direct you and push your life forward whether you know it or not. But how wonderful, how wonderful for the child of God to know that as believers we have new natures. That old man that was in communion with the spirit of this world has gone and now a new man has risen up within them and they are in communion with the living God. We walk with Him and we talk with Him and we have a relationship with Him that is unending. 
The other thing that this means is, we emphasize, is that it means that we are not primarily bodies that possess spirits, but we're spirits that possess bodies. And as such, though we can identify our bodies as ourselves in certain ways, the person gets shot and they'll say, I've been shot, right? It was, well, they were shot in the leg, but they were shot, or they've been shot. There's a bleeding over of our identity with our bodies. We identify it with ourselves. It's not completely true because our essence, the core of what we are, transcends our bodies. This is wonderfully true of the believer. Paul says of the believer in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is, for the believer who has been born again and has been reconciled to God, has been given this wonderful, clean, right spirit that is fit to commune and relate with God, there is nothing separating us from immediate, immediately entering to the presence of God upon the dispersal and dismissal of our bodies, of our spirits from our bodies. We will go immediately be in the presence of God. There's no mediating thing that needs to take place. There's nothing that needs to be purified anymore. We are ready right now to be brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus and enjoy, enjoy His companionship and His company and to go before Him. We are ready immediately to be transported into heaven. Now, that's not true of our bodies. That's not true of our bodies. But as to our spirits, what we can say is that we have been completely and totally redeemed. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 3.13 for a moment. As to our body, as to our spirits, I should say, we have been completely and totally redeemed. So in speaking of our redemption, the Bible speaks of it in the past tense, something that's happened. And as to our spirits, it's true. So in Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us. We sing the song, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, right? Redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. We are redeemed. We are redeemed spirits in complete fellowship with the living God and nothing can separate us from His presence or His love Nothing at all. And yet, we're not fully redeemed. There's a part of us that is not fully redeemed. You can go back now to Romans. Go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Here's what Paul writes about us as redeemed individuals. As redeemed individuals, I have been brought into a relationship with God in which He has given me His Holy Spirit, and I live in communion with and in a relationship with the Spirit who abides with me and in me, and I abide in Him. And this Spirit communicates to me the very life and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes Him real to me. He is in me and I am in Him. There is this unity that has experienced my Spirit with His Spirit. And so in Romans it says, We also that have the first fruits of the Spirit. What's he referring to? We also who ourselves have been redeemed in such a way, we've been born again in such a way that we have received the Spirit of God. And we're in communion with the Spirit of God. That's an expression of this born again life that we have. We also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. My spirit has been redeemed. I have the first fruit of the Spirit of God communing with me, but there's a redemptive work that's still to be done. My body has not been redeemed yet. I just heard a theologian say it this week, and I thought it was great. We are redeemed spirits living in unredeemed bodies. That's it. And that's kind of what Paul is going to be talking about all through the last half of 
chapter 6 and chapter 7 and at least part of chapter 8 as well. How it is that we're to live as redeemed spirits in unredeemed bodies. This understanding should solve a bit of a mystery for the believer. If I have been so wonderfully generated that I have holy, pure communion with the living and holy and true God and that I may enter into his presence right and righteous before him, why do I still struggle with temptation? Why do I still stumble into sin? And the answer is this. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. If you've received Christ as your Savior and repented of your sins and believed in Him and you've found all of your life and righteousness from Him alone by faith, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are a new spiritual being, but your body is the same old body that you've always had. In that body resides the ongoing contagion of sin. And through your body, you are still susceptible to temptation and sin, physical death. It's kind of like what I've been struggling with for the last little while. Somehow, about a month ago, someone introduced to me a little germ. And it just doesn't seem to want to go away. And it just keeps circulating through my body. You might know how this. If you get a sinus infection, the first time I got a sinus infection, not a problem. But the problem was, once it went away, it's like my body learned how to get sinus infections. And so anytime I got the sniffles again, I got another sinus infection. And it just kept rolling around. Or you get an ear infection, and then you finally get rid of that ear infection because you went swimming or something. But the next time you go swimming, you get another ear infection because your body learns and your body receives that infection. And sin works the same way. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time. May God bless you.